are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is sponsored by Great Northern Bow Company. At Great Northern Bow Company, they design and build every bow with you in mind and with respect for the long and noble hunter-gatherer lineage we are all connected to. They build hunting bows, bows designed to make you the very best bow hunter you can be. How do they do it? By paying attention to what really matters in a bow. Stability, smoothness of draw, reliability, performance, refined design, and by using carefully selected materials. Their bows have an understated beauty and refinement of appearance that will make them hold their appeal for a lifetime, and they still build their bows one at a time by hand. So consider making your next custom bow a great northern bow, and in the meantime, be sure to check out their website at gnbco.com. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. What's up, Nick? Oh, you know, not a whole lot, man. It's, uh, it's been hot. A little hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, don't even get me started. So la- la- so uh, I have to back up. Before we went on vacation, um, uh, weeks before we went on vacation, I was down in my office making strings uh, one Saturday, and all of a sudden I heard something that sounded like a – I won't say it sounded like a gunshot, but it was a loud bam. And I left my workbench and went, you know, two floors up to see if something had happened to – you know, Lori or Bella, and they no, we heard it. We don't know what it was. Well, I went and looked around the house. I couldn't find any. I mean, it just it, and it sounded like it was in the house. I couldn't find anything, so I thought, well, it had to just be something out on the street or something. Um, and because of COVID, we're not we're not driving. We're not going anywhere. So usually, when I I haven't I don't drive anywhere. When Lori goes out with her and Bella, they usually drive Bella's car. So her car stays in the garage. And I forget now why, but for some reason, she needed to go somewhere and drive her car. And when she went to open the garage door, it it went all off tilt. I mean, it was it was bad shape. Oh yeah. And come <laughs> to find out what the what the loud noise we had heard a few weeks ago was the spring. One of the springs had had broken, given way. So we called a company out to replace the springs. Well, anyway, long story short, they wanted. $650 to replace the strings and I've had a bad run in with springs in the past and Lori just refused she just really didn't want me doing it myself and then when I asked him what a new door was it just made more sense to have a new door put in so uh, we scheduled that and last weekend we spent all day Saturday cleaning up getting the garage cleaned up and everything moved out so they had plenty of room to put this new door in and Man, the heat was just unbearable. And then yesterday we spent the day at my mother-in-law's doing some stuff for her, cleaning up around her house, running a pressure washer for many hours. And the same thing, man, it just heats just, it'll, man, it'll wear you down. Oh, yeah. I mean, I last weekend I went with, uh, you know, John and I at Buchin haven't had a whole lot of chance to hang out. And uh, we're like, man, let's go, uh, you know, we were going to go do some scouting. And we were like, man, let's just go on the boat. We haven't done, we haven't done any fishing together so we decided to get his boat and go after some steelhead and maybe some bass so we we jumped into his little aluminum boat and you know went out there and and we got out there around seven and i think we were in the boat until 12 12 30 um mm-hmm. and it was absolutely broiling hot out like there was a little bit of a um a breeze 
but just enough to tease you. And like, I think we had like a couple waters a piece and no food and we're just sitting there and man, I started feeling it. And like I had at one point I had a t-shirt wrapped around my head and neck. I had, I had two face masks in my pocket, which are, I just used to pull up the, uh, like the buff masks, right. For fishing. And I had one on, I was wearing shorts. John's covered head to toe. So John, John's covered. He's, he's, he's not going to be out in the sun. So I, I'm, I've got one mask wrapped around one knee, one mask wrapped around the other knee because they're getting burned. <laughs> I've got, I've got the, the shirt around my head. I keep soaking it. I'm soaking my hat. I've got, man, I was feeling it. And we got, um, we, we pulled in. We didn't catch anything. The only thing I caught was John's line twice and uh, almost fell in a couple times. Got a couple snags. And, I mean, we saw steelhead, but there just weren't, I mean, nothing was taken. It was too, right. it was too, the, the, the water was just too murky. It was tea colored and it was just not, I mean, nothing was biting. Um, so all that time and just casting the entire time in the sun, you know, casting, casting a four weight and an eight weight and just, you know, doing that. And by the time we got in, man, I got home and I absolutely like, I told John when I, I went into, when we got the when we got the boat docked, we you know went into the house. And John had a present for me, and he actually got me an uh, an oath glass. That's a bourbon glass etched by Sherry Stochestike, um, with a Dremel, like those glasses a lot of us have. And and this one had his oath logo on it, and he gave it to me, and I and it's a couple of window decals. So I was pretty stoked about that. And um, we talked a little bit in the in the air conditioner, man. And I got back out in the car. And I drank probably three or four bottles of water in a Gatorade, and I just felt sick. I got home and just crashed. I mean, it was I, – I haven't been that tired in a long time. But, man, you sit there in that heat that long enough, and you don't notice it because you're on the water and you're just doing stuff. Man, it will. It'll just crush you. you got to be careful with that. It, it'll creep up on you. But it, it really will. Yep, and i got to get some scouting done too. And, uh, man, i got to work up the ambition. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna we're we're gonna talk about that definitely here in a in a minute or two. Yeah. Um, um, so how about scouting you? and you know Other than pretty the much door. it's pretty much same thing for me. I mean, just just you know, life doesn't change much here. Yeah. Um, you know, so definitely a couple other things I do want to bring up. So uh, while I was while I was on vacation, I didn't mention this when we when we recorded last, but uh, I broke down and actually. I think it was three hundred and thirty bucks, um, but I actually ordered a a full blown uh, what I guess you would call a professional string stretching jig. Um, hmm. I've been kind of hobbling along with with one that I put together for for years, and it did a good job. But it was it was slow. It was it was hard to adjust those kind of things. And um, uh, Baker Archery Supplies where I got mine for anybody that that wants to to look into the stuff he has and i will say top quality i'm very irritated at myself for not doing a lot doing this a lot earlier because it it definitely makes a lot of things easier and i think it's going to you know allow me to make even more consistent strings than i've than i've been making so uh kind of excited about that um trying to think of anything else oh i did want to i did want to throw this out to you was talking about the 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 custom glasses that so many of us have um, so I, I pulled up Instagram, I don't know, last week sometime and I had a, a message from, uh, and you know, you probably know his name. I don't know his name, but it's blood brothers forge is the company. Now what's the guy's name that runs it? Do you know? I, I actually know him as blood brothers forge. Cause that's usually what he comments as. 
Okay. So I don't, I don't know his name. Maybe you can give me a shout out now if you listen to this and, and tell me his name, but he has started making, um, well, he makes a lot of different things, but he's, he's bought a laser engraver. So he's doing some laser, laser engraving on, on leather among, I'm sure other things, but, uh, he reached out to me wanting to know if he could make some arrow rests, um, for traditional outdoors. And, and he did, and he's supposed to be sending those to me. I don't remember how many he's sending, but, um, they look really cool. He even sent me a video of how he was making them. I think you've seen that as well. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. now these have the the original traditional outdoors logo. So I'm gonna I'm gonna use these and make give you know give a few away. I'm definitely gonna send a few to you. Um, but I'm gonna reach back out to him and have him make some more um, with the new logo if he can if he can fit that onto the the piece of leather that he's using and. Um, I think we're going to start giving a few of those away, maybe just randomly, you know, every week pick a name from uh, people who have left us comments on uh, iTunes or one of the other platforms. We'll just pick a name and, and send them send them to some people, no charge, just a little something to say thank you for, for leaving us a rating and review. So if you haven't done that, get out and do that because be, it'll just be randomly pulled from – from the list of people that do that, but they do look really cool. I'm really excited about getting one of them. Yeah, they do. They, and, and they, he sent us a video of actually, you know, doing the laser cutout and everything like that. And they, they are sharp. I, I, I totally dig it. I want one to, I want a few, a couple of them. So. Yeah. And as I, I was talking to you before we press record, I, uh, I'm going to let you reach out to him and we haven't had a, a knife maker or a blacksmith on the, on the show since we had, um, Lucas on from Lucas Forge, uh, lucas billington so it'd be nice to do another episode like that so i'm hoping he might be interested we can get that lined up uh, mm-hmm. for sometime soon because um, i'll be honest the finding guests is is sometimes it's, it feels like sometimes it's getting harder and harder and where i think we're you know we may have to be a a bit more creative in in finding guests to be on the show i'm hoping this this otg challenge might get us some candidates this fall um, mm-hmm. and we're going to kind of wrap that, wrap that little series up here in just a few minutes. But, you know, I think we're, you know, you and I are going to have to brainstorm a little bit and find some more topics like this to, to chat about. Cause I've enjoyed doing this and I, I really am hoping, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll push some people to really, you know, get out there and try it this fall, stress their, stress their abilities a little bit, get out of their comfort zone and, and, you know, Take a whitetail eye to eye. There's nothing like it. I, and I know you know this. There's, well, I guess not actually, I don't know if you do know this because you haven't shot one from a tree stand. So it might be flipped for you. I don't know. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I never, I never, the, the best opportunity I ever had from a tree stand was when I, when I was at Wild Things and the two bucks were in front of me fighting and I had a great shot and was too cheap to buy the deer tag. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it always goes, man. Yep. But no, I haven't. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it is definitely something, folks. If you haven't done it yet, you know, try it. Even if you do it late season or whatever you're gonna do. But I'd like to see you actually go for it. Yeah. So I think uh, I think we've covered pretty much all of the all the different you know concepts or or thought processes we go through the things we think about. So. I think, you know, for our for our last uh, episode, this will be number three of where we've talked about, you know, this on-the-ground challenge, wanting people to get out and, and give this a shot. You know, I've got a few things that I think, you know, we still have left that we can that we can talk about that might help people, and especially right now, even though as, as we've been talking about how hot it is, you know, now, now is the time 
to to do some preparation uh, in areas that you know you're going to hunt this fall. Maybe it's you know maybe it's a natural funnel or maybe it's a natural travel corridor or pinch point. Um, it I guess it could be a food source uh, um, if you if you know of food sources that that are repeated each year. I will say um, I've got one piece of property that I hunt for whatever reason the deer on that property absolutely love blackjack oak acorns and they don't produce every year it's a red oak variety and we actually have a few of them in our neighborhood and I've been getting out and walking with Bella a little bit um, two or three times a week in the mornings early and noticed that the ones here in our neighborhood are absolutely loaded down with acorns right now so uh, I'm anxious to get up on that property and, and look around a little bit and see if I can find some trees up there that are the same way because if I can, then that's an area that I might consider, you know, setting up and hunting on the ground. Um, and I did want to mention, I'm going to throw this out there, Nick, um, and then we'll we'll kind of just go ahead and jump into this, but if a, if a lawnmower sound comes through on this recording this week, my apologies. I, I made the decision uh, a couple of weeks ago, we've got a, a young man in the neighborhood that's trying to um raise money for gas and insurance and so forth and he's he's mowing lawns and and uh i talked to him a couple of weeks ago and just decided as much as i spend my time each weekend making strings i can i can pay to mow the yard in the time it makes me to make a few strings so uh he just showed up right before we started recording so it might bleed <laughs> in a little bit so if anybody here's mowing just know that i'm i'm supporting a young man that wants to to pay his own way and there's nothing wrong with that so nope um so anyway um now's the time to prep i know you're more of a um and we'll talk about that a little bit in a, a minute too but i think nick you're more of a um find your spot when you get there kind of guy or at least you have been in the past is that something you're thinking about are you thinking about trying to get some um, pre-locations established this year before season or no i've actually got a couple spots marked from last year that i liked um on my topple map program so i'm going to visit those places first here in the next few weeks and see how that's kind of looking um, and maybe the atmosphere and some of these or maybe some of the things have changed out there since this whole COVID thing happened. There might be less people walking around out there. Um, I want to see what the, what, what the landscape kind of looks like over there. So um, that's kind of, I mean, I always have kind of an idea, but I, I do want to, uh, even John and I were talking about going out to uh, going out to where we hunt there. And he said he's found a couple of good spots when he was turkey scouting. Um, we ran ac- across a couple of things when we were turkey hunting. And um, I had a couple other ideas, too, and I've got a couple places marked, so I'm going to go check those areas out. And usually what I do when I get out there is I I kind of find where I want to be and where I want to be positioned, and uh, then I either will scrape something together just out of brush that's laying around and kind of leave it there just so I have enough. And I don't usually do too much, but um, and then I'll mark that for the season, depending on the wind and stuff. So... So yes and no. I mean, I always have a couple places in mind um, because I don't get to go out a whole lot, and I'm not going to waste my time, you know. But uh, right. but yeah, probably a little more, little more aggressive with that this year than just kind of going out there. So and I I kind of take, I guess I'm a I don't know. It's hard to explain the way I approach it. Usually I'm out scouting 
not really thinking about or looking for a specific on the ground place to hunt but if i'm out doing a lot of walking you know i may find again just a natural funnel or maybe it's a really well-worn trail that i feel like you know may be something that they're traveling between food and bedding um but sometimes things just catch my eye and i think you know that could work as a that could work as a blind and you've seen some of these i mean mm-hmm. they're that you don't you 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 almost have to be thinking about it in relation to what you're looking at as far as you know deer sign whether it's scat or trails or you know old rubs those kind of things and i'll be honest i've made some i've made use of some pretty unique or pretty weird things that i think you know people might not always think about um so, you know, when you're out scouting, you're looking at sign. Some of the things that I'm going to throw out here, as you, you know, you can think about, definitely be looking for those. But, you know, there may be other things in your area that I don't have. Um, I know people that have actually hunted in rock outcroppings. Um, I've known people that have used not really caves, but almost like um, depressions inside rocks in, in hill, really hill country or mountainous areas. Um that they've used to to set up a nat- what you can call a natural blind, even though it's really not a blind. Um, but some of the so just to go through some of the things that I've used, and you know, you might have some that come to your mind as well. Sure. Nick, but um, so brush piles. Anytime somebody's cleared around a, a a field, or maybe it's an opening, depending on where you're hunt. You know, if you're if you're solely on uh, public land, you know, you might not run into many of those, but um, even if you spend an hour or two moving the brush pile, <laughs> I mean, it, mm-hmm. is it fun? No, but again, the deer, once the deer get accustomed to it, they don't care. Uh, they, they're probably going to be a little bit spooked by it for uh, immediately in a week or two after, but eventually they'll go back to their normal patterns as long as you don't move the brush pile into a position that causes them to alter their patterns. Sure. Um, so brush piles are really good. Um, thickets are. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and actually, to to add on to that, we actually do have a lot of those. Um, there's a lot of, you know, old farms that have been purchased by the uh, by the state, and right. uh, or donated to the state for hunting purposes, probably for taxes or whatever. So we uh, we do have a lot of those places that we have old farmland, um, and uh, you know we have a lot of cleared brush around the farmland. And, uh, the way I usually hunt something like that is I'll hunt, I'll hunt off the brush pile. So there's usually a two or three. The nice thing about a field like that is you usually have two or three spots in the corners or off the corners where you know, they're coming in and out. And we see that a lot, turkey hunting. And Mm -hmm. if we're not going to set any kind of a stand up or do any kind of a, a hanging situation and we are on the ground, what I like to do is I like to set up a little bit back into the woods, find a nice little spot there like a tree or something and hunt kind of parallel to it. So I've got that little, you know, there's that, you know, if they're if they're coming from the woods, depending on the wind, they're looking out into the field, they might be occupied. Or if they're coming out, if they're coming off the field and back into the woods to bed or whatever they're doing, um, you kind of got that little break area right there where they can't see you. Mm-hmm. So you yep. got that little ambush point with a peripheral vision. They just they don't they can't pick you out very well. So I like to do that when I hunt those areas, and that's actually been pretty effective. So yeah, and I can see that. I'm I'm more of a I'm more of a 
clear things out so I can just get right up in the middle of the of the brush pile. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that too. But, I, I killed a buck out of a tangle a few years ago that was just literally a bunch of a big mound of burrs, right? A, bur, a, bur, right. a bur bush, and yep. it was awesome. So, well, and you know the uh, year before last that that little bucket I took with primitive gear. That's what I'd done. Was found. It wasn't really a brush pile. And was, I guess we'll talk about that in a minute too. But it was the where they had uh, a, a lumber company had come in and select cut the property. And when they do that, you know they they take the the trunks of the trees and the the tops of the trees. The the laps is what we always called them growing up. But those just kind of stay where they where they where they lie. Uh, and and those make good situations where it's almost like a brush pile, but it's really just the top of one tree. Uh, and I've I've taken actually taken several deer off the ground um, out of the tops of trees that were cut during a, a clear cut, or or maybe is even a, a tree down during a storm. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, we'll come back to the down tree. Yeah. Um, the next one that I had on my list was thickets, um, but I want to explain that a little bit. So everybody, and if you don't look into it, you'll, you'll become a fan of it. Um, a lot of people hunt what are called transition lines. So it's one type of, one type of structure transitioning into another type of structure. So like on a lot of the public land that I hunt, um, like you said, it's old farms or, or, you know, it's just been pulled into the, the game management system by the state. But you'll have where, you know, they've gone in and, and clear-cut sections of this property. And now clear-cut's different than, than select-cuts. When they clear-cut, it looks like a bomb went off. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they take everything. And if they just leave that to nature, it grows back, as the old saying goes, thick as hair on a dog's back. I mean, it, you, you – Brandon – Brandon who listens you know Brandon mm-hmm. me and Brandon have actually crawled through some of that stuff before um it just it's that thick you can't you almost can't walk upright through it it's just that thick especially the first I don't know five to six years after the clear cut um but it always creates that transition line between the open woods on one side and this this real thick stuff and a lot of times the deer use those transition lines they'll, they'll even walk parallel to them um and you can use that that thick cover just to go back and almost like cut a little pocket out and then you can clear might be one usually i try to do three shooting lanes from inside the little pocket that i set up sure so that i can shoot you know full broadside if i want to or i can get a quartering away shot whichever direction the deer happen to be traveling um so those those thick areas or thickets again anything and what you'll also find too is a lot of times getting inside that thick cover if the if the animal is out in the more open area it's a lot harder to see into the thick stuff than it is to see out of the thick stuff does that make sense yeah totally um so i don't know if that's i know you guys have thickets up there i've seen them (laughs) oh yeah we got we got plenty of that yeah we um the only thing about you know, we get a lot of that. You're getting a lot of that green briar in those burr bushes and stuff like that. That can be absolute murder. Even when, and that's what I notice a lot when they do that. They do the stuff like clear cutting and things like that. You get a bunch of tangles like that, and uh, and you, it could be rough going. And you definitely got to take a burr remover to your clothes. Um, but no, I like I, I like the same thing. In fact, they clear cut a big area behind my parents' house that was there for years. I mean, it was it was just absolutely wooded, and now it looks like a war zone back there. But 
there is a lot of deer traffic right on the edge. Like, you can see where they were going. That's what's kind of funny about it. You know, after they cut all that stuff down, like, it's obvious. Right, um, right. But they still like to they like to run right up on the edge. They still work those edges, and there's a lot of really cool places. In fact, there's a lot of – sometimes when they'll do that, they'll create a lot of really cool stumps, um, just little – brush piles of stumps rock piles and stuff like that and you can just scoot right into those things and i really like hunting stuff like that too in fact i got a spot um when i go to see my folks this year in the fall i've got a couple spots marked out back there that i really like to see because my dad said he's seen a lot of traffic back there because it's uh it's perpendicular to an old dirt road um and they and they like to walk down that road but they always cut in and a lot of the times they'll cut in right off that right you know, in between those big brush piles, it almost just funnels them right into that open area. Then they head to the did the they head to the edge. So it's kind of interesting. That's that's a yeah, but yeah, we've been into some super thick stuff for sure. In fact, most of the time when John and I find those spots, we're turkey hunting and we get caught up in there, and that's how we find them. But yeah, so I and, I, and so I had I did have stumps on my list. Um, so I'll talk about I want I want to talk about that a little bit more in a second. I will say this and i think you know this is one of those it depends on where you're at kind of thing i don't know what the uh necessarily the things to worry about in michigan are or in you know several other parts of the state for that matter but uh here in the south if you're going to be doing that kind of thing this kind of time of year you know again make sure you're you're being safe being cautious uh watch for snakes they are everywhere the odds of you running into a, po- a, a venomous snake are, are probably pretty low as compared to non-venomous snakes here, but there is the opportunity. So beware, keep your eyes open, watch where you're stepping, watch where you're putting your hands. But the other thing to think about too is, um, and these are the ones that worry me more than anything, is the, the yellow jackets and the hornets and the wasps. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been stung so many times in, you know, when I was younger that I'm, I've developed an allergy to them, especially yellow jackets. Um, so I, you know, I really watch them really close and always keep make sure I've got Benadryl with me because you can run into things like that. So just keep that in mind. Um, don't just go blaze, blazing away with a machete. Um, you know, think, <laughs> think, think about what you're doing, where you're going. Um, it's funny. I when we was cleaning out, I mentioned the garage earlier. When I was cleaning out the garage uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I had my, the two machetes that I do use when I'm doing that and pulled them off of a shelf. And of course, Lori had some choice words to say about it. That's why people look at you funny. Um, <laughs> I'm walking around with these two big, big machetes, but uh, in all honesty, they look at me funny for a lot of reasons other than that. But anyway, um, you mentioned the stumps and I had those on my list and I guess for me, it's not necessarily just a stump. It can also be a large tree. Um, I'm trying to think. I know on at least two occasions I've taken whitetails, uh, one buck and one doe, and the only thing I was using was a tree as a as a blind. I mean, nothing else. Um, both situations, I was on one side of the tree and expecting the deer to pass by behind the tree that I was up against. Um, yep. in fact, one of them, one of them was right there where you had the bear encounter years ago, but, um, Oh yeah. That area is probably real good for that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, don't know, I guess I'm trying, you know, one thing I'm trying to say is don't overthink it. I think the mm-hmm. more cover that you can get, the better off you're going to be. But a lot of times it's just don't move. 
be still. Know you know know when you know when you can move and get away with it. Um, and you definitely cannot get away as much movement as you can in a tree stand. You have to constantly be thinking, moving your hands too fast, turning your head too fast, shifting your weight. I mean, any of this stuff. You just you can't you can't get away with as much on the ground as you can in a tree stand. Nope. Um, so we talked. I talked about down trees a little bit, and and the laps of trees. I want to talk, or the laps from trees that have been cut. Um, I do want to talk about that a little bit more. So, um, it's always best the first, I would say, two to three years, depending on the tree, because you get you end up with a lot more cover from the leaves. When a when a tree's typically cut. Uh, especially when it's green and the leaves are still green when it's cut a lot of times they will you know everything dies it's not like um it's not like the process that takes place in the fall where the leaves change colors and then fall from the tree so a lot of times these trees will hold these leaves for several years um but even after that again you can if it's if you find a spot that that um you're successful in or you see deer in and you want to keep using that Again, this would be the time of the year that you can go and check those spots and dress it up if you need to. Cut some branches from somewhere else, especially if it's, you know, cedar or pine, and and dress that spot up so that you can continue using it. That won't scare, you know, the, the animals or change the animal's behavior near as much as cutting a tree down and starting over again. Um, so, you know, again, be creative. Uh, I have actually cut small trees before to build blinds from and it will work but again you have to i think you have to give that a little bit more time the deer will even go in and eat the leaves off of those things but they won't typically won't do it in the daytime they'll do that at night um so anyway uh i just be creative any of these spots that we've talked about you know you can always dress up something that you feel like is marginal it doesn't have to be ideal it doesn't have to be perfect there are ways you can always make it better Yep, and to, um, and to recap, one of our last episodes, I don't know if it was one or two, but when we say dress up, it doesn't always have to be like you're recreating Fort Mackinac out there. I mean, all you all, all you need. <laughs> you're not I building mean, a fortress. No, you're not. You're not. You're not building. And a, and a gun blind's a whole lot different than a than a bow blind. Because I mean, if you've ever seen, if you've ever found a gun blind somewhere and tried to use it as a bow blind, it doesn't work out that well. Um, what what I usually do to dress up spot like trees, like a lot of times, and I, I Steve pretty much taught me this because, and actually when we, we talked about seeing that bear, the blind, you set me up in there and I kind of laughed at it and I was like, that ain't a blind. Uh, but if you just, if you have some, a little bit of cover, if you just like lean, like maybe it's leaning a big stick up against the tree or maybe it's, it's crossing a couple sticks just to mess up the depth perception and break you up a little bit. Um, give them something to focus on with their peripheral vision. Um, it works. Like you, because the more you add to a blind, the weirder it looks. And then, unless you're just in a bunch of tangles, but the weirder it looks, and then it's harder for you to shoot. You gotta, you gotta understand that you're gonna be shooting. So don't cave yourself in. I guess don't, don't try to barricade yourself in. It's not then, you know, because it really doesn't matter how much cover you have in front of you. If you're moving, they're gonna pick you out anyway. So it's not gonna give you more cover to move. You know, that's not that's not what it's going to do. You're just breaking up outlines. But I just wanted to throw that in there. No, it's, it's definitely good. It's definitely good points to 
to throw out there. I mean, and that brings up another point. You know, if it's if it's legal to do so, um, you know, you might even want to bring your bow along with you um, one of your scouting trips. Mm-hmm. Uh, get in there and and you know make sure you can draw your bow. Maybe you know shoot at a few stumps or something from in there. Make sure that. Because the last thing you want to do is have the opportunity for an animal and then realize you can't maneuver, you can't shoot because you've put too much cover in. Um, which is one of the reasons, again, I really like the, the river cane that I've hunted out because it's all vertical. And, you know, with minimal clearing, I can almost always find a, a shooting lane. But keep that in mind. Um, you, 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 you want to be able to move as little as possible, but you will have to move. So you want to make sure that you can do so without making noise, without hitting things with your, your bow or your, your arrows. So it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a science to get it right, but it's not once you, once you know what works, you know what works. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things I'm going to throw out there that we, that are, I find are typically overlooked that I've that I've used um, to some success. I know um, one of these I've well actually neither one I've I've had close calls. I've never actually taken an animal, but I know it's just a matter of time if I continue to use them because they actually work really well. One is natural depressions. So and again might not work everywhere, but. Here in the South, a lot of times, you know, even in the even in the far, you might not have a, a creek or a stream, but you may have, um, they, some people call them gullies, some people call them drainages, um, but it's basically where runoff water has created what looks like a small creek um, drain, but it's it's not a creek. It's so unless it's raining, there's not going to be water in it. It's just you know, it's just a, a washway. And it's generally countersunk and lower and can oftentimes give you the opportunity to set up relatively easy to where you could shoot anything that's going to be below you um, from that from that drainage. It's hard to explain um, really, but just think of it as being able to get into a, a low depression where there's less of your body exposed to the skyline or, you know, almost like above ground. So you could, you can actually get away with movement because the only way anything's going to see you is if they're directly below you where they can look up that drainage. Does that make sense? No, that absolutely makes sense. In fact, um, my dad's neighbor, Holly Rue, who's got that Michigan black bear record, he always talked to me about building a, a pit line. And when he was younger, what he would do is he'd find those depressions and uh, it might be slight, but what he would do is he'd take a piece of carpet out with him, and he would he dig just a he dig a spot um, that he could sit on, and get a little bit lower so that he was basically parallel with that, you know, with the with the the um, not really the horizon, but the top, everything else around him. So he wasn't jutting out in a weird way, and he was just kind of blending in with the ground, if that makes any sense. And he shot a lot of deer that way. I've always wanted to try that, um, but I've never been a big fan of sitting on the ground, and usually my feet fall, fall asleep and whatnot, but he described it as kind of just hanging your feet down and just straight out in front of you on a downward angle and just kind of digging a seat into the into the little gully. Right, and, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, yep. and that's a great way to put it. It's a pit line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just a natural, a natural pit line. 
Yeah, I mean, very good point. And the, and the other one I was going to bring up is the same, basically the exact same thing. So anytime we talked about the the um, treetops, tree laps, and down trees, well, when a, when a tree is, typically when a tree is downed in the storm, it doesn't break. It brings the root the roots up with it so you end up with the the big massive root ball sticking up out of the ground and then you got the hole where the the roots were originally and that makes a that makes a great spot i mean you've got the Mm -hmm. you've got the the natural depression that gets your the the bulk of your body below you know the below uh ground level and then you've got the the big root ball that's nothing but a tangle of roots and dirt behind you uh, to help break up your outline Uh, again i've come close several times but i've never i've never taken an an animal from one of those but again i know it's just a matter of time and you don't see those often um the you know the the chances of finding a a down tree like that with a root ball in conjunction with something that's worthwhile to hunt pretty low um the the few times that i've seen it regularly one was um along a uh river bottom or river drainage a lot of times just from you know if the uh the river getting out of its banks over the years will create some weak trees and they may you know they may blow over and typically there's usually a lot of travel um around river bottom drainages now the challenge there is finding one that's used enough during the daylight to make it worthwhile because a lot of that traffic does happen at night um and the other one would be you know a lot of times larger oaks and stands of oaks you know one of them will will ultimately at some point come down and if you can if you can time it to where you're hunting that when some of those other uh, oaks are producing acorns then it could be fantastic those are the ones that i've tried in the past and again i've had close i've had close calls but just never managed to to seal the deal on one from that type setup but i know it'll work it's just a matter of the right place at the right time and it'll happen eventually same and every time i pass one i always think that would make a good blind they're not always the most comfortable thing in the world but they'll they'll work in a pinch that's for sure well and but again that's the that's the the whole what we've been talking about is what can you do now to make that more comfortable yep totally um you know is it uh it's can a good, you go, go ahead. ahead no, no I, said, I said it's just a good foundation right real right. good foundation what, what can you do to make it more productive whether that's you know building something to sit on out of what's there or you know getting it to where you can easily bring a, a something to sit on in with you um, and I do want to talk about that uh, that's the next section I really want to talk about was you know equipment what equipment's different um, for for actually hunting on the ground but you know anything that you could do now those kind of setups you can't you can't um, you can't create those um, setups like that this fall but you can prep those now if you run across one or find one now the the brush piles and the thickets and those kind of things look uh, roll the dice on them if you're out if you're out scouting or hunting this fall and season's already in and you run across what you think would be a dynamic setup don't approach it from the perspective well i don't want to do that now because i'll just scare everything off you're not going to know till you try uh, anything that you can prep ahead of time, you're definitely ahead of the game and you're better off. But don't discount crawling into a, a pile of brush and cleaning it out on the spot because it can be effective. Um, you don't have to do everything two months ahead of season or a month ahead of season. It's just in some cases it's better. 
Um, so equipment. You need something to sit on. Um, mm-hmm. And I be, I'll be honest, I've probably tried more options than just about anybody at this point. Um, and there's a lot of good options out there. There's also some pretty cheap options out there. Uh, I know you have brought a little folding chair. Uh, I can't remember if that was here, if you used that up in Michigan. But I know I've seen you with this little folding chair that you had for years. <laughs> I've made um, the same $19 Meyer special folding chair for a decade. And I, I duct tape straps to it, and I still use it. Um, I also put a little tape where in the joints so that it doesn't fall down the moment you step up because you get got one of them folding backs on it. Um, right. And if you have to stand up or get to a knee, that thing will come forward and smack, and then obviously you're going to scare anything away. So I've got it taped so that it won't do that. Like a, it'll, it'll kind of just ease down. Um, but honestly, I bought that just kind of, it was one of those things I thought, you know, this might work for this season. Then I got to find something better, but you know, I got used to it. Um, and if I don't have any weird angles or any kind of weird terrain that's slanted, or if I, if I'm planning on sitting behind something instead of in front of it, I'll take that stool. Um, it's got a little pocket so I can put some stuff in it and it's, and it's really light. Um, so that's, uh, that's one of the seats that I bring, but yeah, it was like, like I said, it was 20 bucks. Sometimes if it's colder out or I'm going to sit longer, I'll bring in a, I'll bring a cushion, like one of those foam cushions and put on there. Um, and sometimes what I like about that one is I'll, I'll actually fold the seat down and sit on top of the seat too. the, the backrest, I mean, right. um, you can just sit right on top of that. Then you've got kind of a swivel. It's, it's a makeshift swivel. You don't have to, you're not dedicated to having that backrest. Um, but yeah, it, it works. I mean, I've been using it that long. In fact, I put both on the back of my, back of my Ford and that's, they always come with me. So, yeah. And you, and you hit on the one, there was two things that I was going to bring up about those kind of seats. One, you really do need fairly level, stable ground. Um, and you need to make sure that you're going to be able to move in it without it making a lot of noise. Um, and mm-hmm. most of the most of those little folded, they're pretty quiet. Um, I have to admit. Uh, like I said, after seeing yours, I actually went out and bought one. I've used it several times. Um, but I think the, the the biggest key to those is being able to find a place where you can set it up that you're not constantly trying to keep yourself from falling over. Or yeah, falling out of it. definitely. Um, um, and you, you kind of you might have to do some digging. And roots aren't great either. Like if you got a bunch of if you're setting up a that's why sitting in front of a tree usually isn't that great with them just because mm-hmm. the, you know, if you're sitting in front of a tree, that's big enough to, to break you up a little bit. Odds are that the roots are going to be, you know, just in the way and you're not, and that, since it's got bars for legs, you can't really do much with it. So what I usually like to do is I have to, I'll just, I'll, I'll dig a flat surface out if that's the case and kind of balance it. Um, but and yeah. we- and what I've done in the past is I've actually, again, if it was a spot I knew I was going to hunt, I've taken um, just some old scrap pieces of lump wood. Yeah, and that'll not, work. Not, not huge things, just something I can throw in my pack and carry out there and and get those countersunk just enough in the, in the earth that they don't move. I mean, over time, they're going to rot away anyway. Um, I wouldn't recommend using treated stuff, uh, but, you know, just some old pine lumber or something like that. Uh, cut you a few pieces out and just enough that those those feet can sit on makes a it can make a huge difference mm-hmm. um 
So another one that you and I both have used that I still strongly recommend, I don't know where you can still find them, but I do know they're, they're still being made, is the hammock seat. Um, I sold a bunch of those things years ago, and I, I still have one. I think you got one from me. Oh, I love it. Yes, I did. I bought one from you on our first um, hog hunt, actually, and I've been using yeah. it ever. I've been using it ever since. I love that thing. It goes with oh, me everywhere. It's super comfortable. It's super quick to set up. You can use it just about anywhere as long as you've got a tree that you can strap it to. I've strapped it to trees as small as probably six inches in diameter. Now, keep in mind, the smaller trees, if you move, you're going to be moving the top of that tree. But it'll set up just about anywhere. It's very comfortable. You can even fall asleep in the doggone thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the only drawback I would say to them, if any, is they can be noisy especially if you're wearing like um normal camo clothing or or jeans you know anything that's remotely abrasive in any way will make noise against it if you move if you're not careful mm-hmm. but if you're wearing wool you'll never hear a sound out of it um yep yep so Word. anyway that, that that's the only negative i have about the, the hammock seats is that you know sometimes they can make noise if you're wearing the wrong clothes well, you do uh you get around it though. You you got to practice them a little bit. You can if you set it up in a certain way. Like what I like to do with them is, uh, you know, obviously. I, so I set it up like if I'm hunting a certain way, I I got to shoot off my left side. So or or in front of me to my left side. So you're not gonna swing all the way around and make a shot off the right side of the tree if you're if you're right-handed and facing forward with that thing you're gonna you're gonna make noise but what i do is i set it up so that these hammock seats are basically like it's a uh, one part straps to the tree one there's a pole underneath and there's canvas in the middle and you can set the pole so that you can actually swivel on that pole slightly one way or another and the canvas is far enough away from the tree if you set it up right where it won't make that much noise obviously some trees are louder than others um but I like to actually swing that thing kind of back and drop to a knee and shoot. And since those things are so low, they're easy to do that. Um, I also sometimes set them up kind of high, especially if I'm in front of a tree and I'm, um, you have to be in front of a tree hanging off it. But if, you, uh, if you're if you sitting on kind of a slope, they work well. If uh, you just got to sit a little bit higher and you got to adjust the pole a little bit. Um, I did find if, if anybody wants to find a version of these things, I see there's one on Amazon that's called toy pop or, um, it's like T O Y P O R P or T O Y P O P O R camping chair hammock style. It's the exact same thing that Steve and I have, and it shows a Turkey hunter in it. Um, our, our company with the, or the company we bought ours from was actually called hammock seat. Wasn't it Steve? Well, yeah, that was that was, and that's a long story, and I'll I'll butcher it. Basically, that is the company that created them. Um, they somehow, I don't know the whole story, so don't hold me to this. But if memory serves, something happened where they they contacted another company to begin manufacturing them for them. And if I remember right, they had done they had not done something with regards to the the patent or something like that. And once the other company started making them for them, they actually started making them for other companies and selling them under different names too. That 
roughly that's something that I or I believe that's how I remember the the gentleman that owned the place told me. But anyway, it doesn't matter. You I can't did, get them in other I places fi- now. I did find it. It's uh, it's by Fanatic Outdoors. Yep. Um, and they're forty nine ninety five. Still, it's the same exact thing as they used to be, same logo and everything. You can find it at fanaticoutdoors.com, actually. And uh, you can also find there's another version on Amazon, too, that's about the same thing, it looks like. But, you know, once somebody makes something, that's copied by a million different places that you import them. So yep. Yep. what you get is what you get, but it's all the same thing. It straps up at the top, got the pole on the bottom. It's camo on the outside, black on the inside. It, it works great. And the nice thing is you can roll it up, and uh, it comes with a clip, and you just clip it to your belt um and just walk in with it like you got a tail i mean it's just it's super easy to do and i've used mine so i use mine all season like well I, and we've been we've been using these things for almost 10 years now we have been and, it, and it's still going strong and the yep. only time i will say that it gets a little hairy with those things is if you're on a cold morning in a cold area where there's frost those things get frosted up um if you sweat a lot and you get into one of those things, and a, and it's a really cold morning, and you sweat on the walk in, you will stick to it, and it will make noise. <laughs> and 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 if you if you don't set it up exactly right, it can dump you and send you down the hill. And Nick can tell you about. Oh, that. I can tell you that. And actually, that <laughs> that bear story. I know uh, that's exactly what I'm thinking about. Steve, Steve, <laughs> the first time I learned that you could actually strap a couple pine trees together and sit on one. Um, I I had that. I had that that hammock seat out for the first time and i strapped it on the tree and i didn't have the pole set up and i went to collapse into it like an idiot and i slipped right down the hill and went about 15 yards on my back right 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 down the hill uh so yeah it's not something you could fall into you got to kind of set it up and make sure everything's right but once you get that going and you got a setting figured out for yourself they're easy every time so. And the and the last thing I'll say about the hammock seat, if anybody buys one that hasn't hunted one, the biggest pieces of, of advice that I can give you is once you get it set up, you feel like the height is right. When you go to sit down in this thing, take both of your hands and grasp the the, the canvas part of the seat on each side, and and fan it out, spread it out, and then sit down into that, and then let it wrap back around you. Yes, um, that's the. I mean, th- that's the key to making this thing comfortable and uh, make it work. Uh, that's absolutely right, because otherwise it's going to cut the circulation off to your thighs. That's right. Yep. Right. And you can sit on them once you get it. Once you get it set up and learn how to how to get seated in the thing, you can sit in it for a long time without having to move. They're very comfortable. Oh yeah, I have fallen asleep in one. The the yeah. only other so I'll mention a couple of other seats. Um, I have tried the hunt more chair. Um, I had one for several years and it worked okay. Your results may vary. I didn't care much for it because it would inevitably make a noise at the always at the worst possible time, and it cost me a few a few deers and I quit I quit using it. In fact, um, not, I sit I sit not, out of that same seat and out of a ground blind when I went hunting with you. Yep, and you I'm know. not trashing them. I mean, you know, uh, it may have just been I had a bad seat, or maybe it was something I needed to do to it that I didn't do, um, and it worked. I just because of that, I just gun shy, quit using it. Um, I do have a Millennium chair that is very similar to the Hunt More. It has served me very well, works very well. Uh, it's just, you know, one of the seats in my arsenal if I need to use it. Um, the, the big benefit to the, you know, seats like the Hunt More um, and the Millennium is you can't adjust those for uneven ground. So it, it mm-hmm. kind of re- 
fixes the problem with the first little folding chair that we talked about. Sure, I thought it worked. I thought it worked pretty well when I hunted out of it. The, we did a we did a couple all day sets though, and I will say that just because I am a bigger, heavier guy, that that canvas loosened up on the top because it's basically on a tripod, and when that starts to loosen a little bit, you get the uh, you end up sitting right on the the crossbar. So right. you got to tighten them every once in a while. But other than that, there, yeah, what, it wasn't bad. Um, it is, it is a bit of a bulky carry-in. Like it's, it's not a light deal. Um, the hunt more, you mean? The hunt more, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of bulky. The Millennium is a little bit better. It's not quite as bulky. But uh, one thing I will tell you to avoid, because um, I, I, the very first season I hunted, I bought one of these. Is once in a while you'll see one of those little bicycle seat canvas tripod things you can get at the store for like. 20 25 bucks and uh it's got adjustable legs and everything for terrain and it looks great but you rotate in that thing at all they fall right apart and you get dumped down a ravine happened to me also um i'm just a big guy though i'm so. sensing a pattern here Nick. W- wouldn't recommend <laughs> hey man I've, I've tried and broke a lot of stuff so that yeah i mean I, and i've seen people even just carry uh john buchine hunts out of lawn chairs like he's just got a camel lawn chair and he yeah. sets that up. That'll work too. It's not ideal, but yeah. So the only other one I'll mention mention is the Waldrop pack seat, and I know a lot of people use them. And I know a lot of people like them. I can't speak to it because I've never I've never sat in one, never used one. But it is something that you know I know a lot of people swear by them. So if you're if you're looking for for uh, a seat for hunting on the ground, that's that's just another one you may want to look into. Uh, the only other thing I'll say on the seat thing, I know we're kind of beating it to death here, but uh, I, I have used uh, egg crates in a pinch. That's just an or milk crates. Um, it works. I mean, if you if it's something you can you know leave out there and get later, it's not bad. Well, that's um, a key, and that's a key point. And I, and yeah. I will say I, I've seen people use those. I've never used. I've seen people use you know five gallon buckets. Mm-hmm. If you if you carry that crap out in the woods, carry it back out. Um, don't yeah. don't leave it in. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've walked up on that stuff. Um, it, where and in some cases where it looks like people just use it year after year after year, they just they won't take it out. Um, mm-hmm. Don't don't leave yeah, it. Yeah, don't be that. Don't be that person. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'll stop yeah. at that before I start using bad names. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Um, another question that comes up quite a bit here, Nick, and I know where you sit on this, and I'm kind of the same way. Is well, you know, what do you do with your bow? How do you hold your bow? Do you? And there are some good gadgets out there for for holding your bow, but honestly and truly, I don't think anything is better than your lap in most mm-hmm. cases. Absolutely. Um, keep it with you. Keep it ready. Keep an arrow on it. Um, if if I am just can't for whatever reason, don't want it in my lap for any longer, I may take it and set it down so that it's leaning, it, you know, one end's on the ground and the other end's leaning against my leg and maybe I'm, you know, holding the air on with my hand or my arm or something. But I just, I don't see the sense of carrying something else in just to hold my bow up. Um, and I, like I said, I knew you kind of felt the same way. Nope. If you, I've, I've been, I've early on in my life, I've been busted too many times with, without a bow in my hand. Um, I keep the bow in my lap, always on the ground, arrow knocked. You ain't be able to hang it and grab it without getting noticed. It just doesn't work that way. And if you're leaning over to pick it up off the ground, you ain't going to get it in time. You just don't have the time. Um, I keep it right on my lap. And, uh, a lot of times, um, 
you know, I, I, I keep the, I keep the arrow knocked. I kind of hunch over it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I usually have a flip mitten or something like that, that I can just put on. And then all I'm doing is removing a mitten, you know, or flipping a mitten back rather than if it's cold rather than reaching for it. But trust me, honestly, if I had any advice to give to anybody, it hundred percent, keep that thing in your lap and ready to rock. Cause it's just not, you don't want to be in that situation where you did all the work you got, you got there, you were doing what you were supposed to do. You, you found the right spot and then something flies through there too quick and you don't, you're not ready. It's just a terrible feeling. Are you, are you spooked something because you're trying to pick your bow up and get everything ready to, to make a shot? Mm-hmm. Um, all good, all good points. Um, other equipment, we're getting close to the hour here, and I do want to, I want to try to get this wrapped up close to an hour. But um, other equipment, so, you know, if you're going to be brushing up or, or dressing up natural cover, and my, my, lawn, my lawn guy's coming right behind me where I'm <laughs> recording right now, of course. But um, So you want a pair of a really decent quality, I would say good quality clippers, something that you can fit in your pocket that you can use to – to, to clip limbs and, and sticks and so forth, things that you can just cut. You might be cutting a few little small limbs off of adjacent trees to dress up your blind. So you want to keep a good pair of those. Um, a good limb saw, same thing that you would use if you're, you know, cutting a limb as you're um, for hunting out of a tree stand. You never know when you might want to cut a few small trees. Maybe it's something you need to cut to clear a shooting lane. Um, maybe it's to dress up your natural blind and in most cases and i will strongly recommend it should be both if you're going to cut something down make use of it don't just cast, cut something down and cast it aside if you're cutting down a, a small tree to to clear a shooting lane take that back to your blind use it to dress up the blind so you're at least getting uh, a little bit more use out of something that you you know you you cut down um Netting, burlap, those kind of things definitely have their place. I don't use them a ton. Um, I don't know if you do or not, Nick, but I do try to usually keep, you know, one or the other um, in my pickup just in case I want to carry it with me to make use of it. Um, But there's, you know, there's all kinds of camo netting. There's all kinds of burlap, camo burlap. I've used uh, soccer goal netting in the past, which you've seen, Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can interweave stuff in that to where it, um, again, you can, you can dress up and make the, make the blind more what you want it to be. Um, if you're going to use those things and, and in some cases it's good just to have them anyway, but I always try to keep a handful of, uh, the old wooden clothes pins where, you know, I might not keep them in my pack all the time, but if I'm going to be hunting on the ground, I make sure I throw a handful of them in my in my backpack because you can use those to hold little limbs in certain places the way you want them to. Um, if you're going to be using the netting or the burlap, again, you can use the clothespins to to attach it to limbs, those kind of things. Um, and even you know some small thumbtacks are good to keep with you because again, you can use that to to hold the stuff up that you need. If you the natural cover is just not there and you can't get it done. Um, those definitely have a place and can definitely come in handy. But I, I would just say that I always look at those as being last resort. You know, I, mm-hmm. there's just no way I can make it work without, um, without incorporating those. If I can get by without it, I'd rather get by without it. Same. Sometimes I'll throw an extra, uh, an extra wool pullover in my bag. Works pretty good too. 
Yep, but, and I, I've done that before. Um, I won't even get started about carrying clothes in so that I can set up a dummy hunter. That's a story for another day. Um, <laughs> but you can definitely do that, and you can definitely do it to your advantage. So maybe I'll put that on a notepad, and we'll come back to that one. You're going to have to talk about that at some point because that is – I've never heard this. Oh, yeah, uh, I've, I've definitely done that before, um, <laughs> especially on public land because uh, it you know i uh, you know what nope i'm gonna save it we'll we will do that we'll, we'll make a point of maybe just having a uh our discussion about unusual tactics um that i that have been employed in the past let's do that because i think that would be very interesting to our listen for our listeners um the last thing and it, i actually hadn't even wrote this down but I, since we're talking about the burlap and so forth somebody will ask about it if i don't bring it up and that's ghillie suits um Ghillie suits definitely have their place. If you can make them work for you, go for it. I've used them. Um, I've had deer very close to me. I've never, I've never taken. I've actually shot at a whitetail with a ghillie suit on. I've never brought one home. It seems like maybe it's just me, but that it always manages to get in the way of my bowstring. And I have a really good ghillie suit in my closet. I may use again another day, but I've had. I've just had a lot of frustration with it. So it's not something that, that I personally use a lot of. If you do great. And it, they definitely work and you can definitely get deer in close, but shooting a longbow or a recurve, I just, uh, like I said, it always seems to get in the way and I'll leave it at that. And, uh, there are some, I know Mark Carpenter with the Michigan Longbow Association gets a deer, gets a decent buck every year with a ghillie suit. And he has had tremendous success just sitting against a fence on the outcrop of a field, uh, especially where there's a lot of like you know high grass or wheat or whatever, or corn. We need stalks. to get him on here and learn. learn we his, sh- we learn should his because man, he he's probably the guy that's had the most success that I know with a ghillie suit, um, nope. and and it seems to work every year. So I personally do not use one. I already look like a yeti. I do not need to have the rest <laughs> of the ensemble and get, get mistaken for one. <laughs> well, you've but, got you've got you've got two pieces of homework after this episode, then. <laughs> yeah. I will have to say, I thought about talking to him. I, and in fact, I, if we'd have had events this year, I definitely would have already. But, yeah. So. any Anything anything else you would add, Nick? No, I think we covered it really well. And I hope you all really got something out of this. And you uh, and you seriously give it, a, give it a thought about going after it this year on the ground. I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. And we, will, and we want to hear from you. So. Um, if you, if you're, if you give hunting on the ground, a, a real try this fall, let us know about it. I don't, whether you're successful or not, let us know if you've got a good story to tell. Uh, we'd love to hear about it. And we, you know, we do want to try to get some of our listeners maybe to participate in a show, uh, after this hunting season, we may do, you know, we may do a few interviews based on this, or we may do, uh, I don't know. We may have a, an episode where we bring, you know, several people in to, to tell a 10 or 15 minute uh, share a 10 or 15 minute store we'll just see how it plays out but for that to happen you have to let us know so um, be sure to reach out to us you can email me directly at bowhunterga at gmail.com or you can send an email to the um, to the podcast which is tradoutdoorsweb at gmail.com and i think there's also a podcast at traditionaloutdoors.com so you can find us Go to the website. There's links out there as well where you can email us. But let us know, and we would love to. We'd love to hear your story, and love to potentially have you on the on the show sometime after this fall season. So, I think that's going to wrap this one up. Nick, thank you for joining me again as always. Yep, thank you. 
And for all our listeners, thank you for listening in, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Take care, all.